My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Every once in a while, a couple times a year, uh, my wife and I like to go away, you know, leave the kids in the house with supervision, hopefully, and food. They're fine. That and Minecraft, they can live forever. We like to go away and do something, just a weekend retreat or a couple days away. We did that this summer. We went down to uh, Cottage Grove. I don't know if you've gone down I-5 there, but down at Cottage Grove, uh, there's a little place called Village Green, thanks to Groupon. We got a couple nights there. It was kind of a nice little place, pool, hot tub, uh, you know, just fun spot. Now, I, I, I give you a map, not so you can go there, which would be fine if you can go to Groupon on your app right now. That's, that's cool. But to kind of give you perspective, so here we are, little, little, little Hillsboro. And uh, two hours and 15 minutes away, 134 miles, okay? Just so you know, a couple hours away. We hopped on our bikes. The next morning, we went out to the Rau River Trail. We've done that a number of times. It's a lot of fun. I think it's like 25 miles if you do it all the way there and back or whatever. It's really pretty. It's a nice spot. So we're out there biking. In fact, here's what it looks like on this next picture. It looks a lot like the banks Vernonia Trail, if you've gone there, if you haven't. You can leave church early and go to the Banks for Nonia Trail. It's unbelievable. Run it, bike it, walk it. It's so cool. And so it's a beautiful spot. So there's a lot of covered bridges, too, on this. So it's kind of a fun, you know, old place to kind of wander around and see and bike and get off and stop. Now, we're about 15 miles out on the Rau River Trail. Okay, 134 plus 15, 149. So we're 149 miles from home, Okay. Uh, and uh, we, we're just looking at this. It's beautiful. We're, we're off our bikes, just kind of standing there. This uh, older retired couple bikes up. We had seen them uh, that morning at breakfast at the Village Green, and, and so I just started a conversation, you know, just kind of go through, hey, I saw you there. How you doing? And just start talking about this. And, you know, if anything you can start a conversation with about a bike, about a bike helmet, about the trees, about the trail, about how was breakfast, about where you're from. And then the question came back, well, where are you from? And I said, well, we live in Hillsboro. The lady goes, oh, Hillsboro. I used to live in Hillsboro. I'm retired now, got, you know, remarried. I'm in Eugene, and I loved Hillsboro. I go, really, that's cool. What did you do when you were in Hillsboro? I was a school teacher. I said, really, which school? Jackson Elementary School. I said, no way. I said, I used to work right down the street from Jackson. She goes, really, where? I said, Sunrise Church. And I didn't finish getting the words out, and she said, man, I love Sunrise Church. I said, as a teacher, they were always serving people. You're that church that's always doing good things for people. I thought, I'm like two and a half, well, two hours, 15 minutes, plus like 45 minutes out or whatever, you know? I'm like, how in the world am I going to run into somebody far away, and all of a sudden, their thought was, I love Sunrise Church. 
You're the church that does good stuff for people. And so then I was able to kind of talk about why and everything like that. And, and she just was, you know, really, really, really gracious and got to talk to her husband and got to share why we do what we do, the hope that we have. And it w- there was just goodwill. And I, I, I walked away thinking, or biked away thinking, God, that was weird. Okay, I got to share that one of these days. And so I just shared it. So there we go. Let's pray. We're done. You can go home. No. Um, I share all that because that's what we're talking about. We are in uh, a series this fall on the first uh, 10 chapters of the book of Mark, looking at how Jesus did good things. We started last week by looking at this really simple uh, sentence in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, I, two years ago, I stumbled upon it and hadn't ever seen it before, and it's there, and it was just, you know, kind of a, a opening up part of my heart of like, what does that mean? And it says this in Acts 10, 38, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, this is in a bigger story of Peter, the follower of Jesus, one of the fishermen who becomes a disciple, who becomes an apostle, a leader, a preacher of, of the church there in Jerusalem. Phenomenal things going on. Peter is uh, told with the other disciples to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Samaria is the cross-cultural, and the ends of the earth, that's the Gentiles, super cross-cultural, right? They haven't done this yet, and so now God is pushing Peter out of his comfort zone. He's in the home of a Gentile. He's crossing uh, racial uh, lines, religious lines. He's going to get in trouble. In fact, he goes back, he gets in trouble for doing that, Um, and then he says, hey, you know, who are we to stop what God's doing? And so he's standing there with this Gentile group of people, Romans, this Roman centurion and his family, and he's talking about Jesus. And he's telling the story about Jesus, about all the things he did. And I just was gripped by the fact that one of the things Peter says is, you know, that he went around doing good. And so in my theological framework from where I came as a a new follower of Christ in high school, my church really didn't focus on any of that. They only focused on the cross, which is obviously how we are reconnected in relationship with God. But there wasn't any thought of, we could do good in our world today. It was more like a let's gather in our church building, hold on to our children, because the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and let's just ride this one out till Jesus comes back. And I thought, this needs to change everything for us, that Jesus went around doing good, and by healing and loving and serving and, and giving and feeding and all those things, he did some amazing, people were better because Jesus showed up. And so that idea of doing good translates to do good, bestow benefits. The idea is that people were better because Jesus showed up. Now, again, the cross, you know, said it all. That's God's love for us, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, that, that's the story. But, but the deeper question for me is, what good are you? What good am I? Is our city better because we're here? Are our schools better because we're here? Is your working environment better because you are there in that place? Is your neighborhood better because you live there? Is anybody receiving benefit because you are a follower of Jesus Christ? Or are you just living for yourself, holding on, waiting till Jesus comes back? What kind of influence do you and I, do we have in our communities today? And if we're going to have the influence of Jesus, obviously there's the greater good of sharing the message of Jesus. But it's also this understanding of doing a great good right in the midst of people. Last week, as I finished the message, I think it might be the nine o'clock service, somebody came up to me and said, oh, man, that was great. And it reminds me of Pastor Charles' message. I'm like, oh, yeah, Pastor Charles Magisha, who came from uh, Kigali, Rwanda, who shared a message called The Two Hands of the Gospel. 
And I thought, man, that's a, that was a good message. I have to go back and listen to that again if I can find it on the podcast somewhere. And, and Charles was talking about how he, when he was a child, he was a refugee in Uganda, and uh, they were working in the coffee fields, and so he was going out picking coffee beans, and this is how he would pick beans, like this. And then he would go like this. And his dad said, Charles, Charles, use both hands. You'll get twice as much done. And so Charles came and said, you know, when we share the gospel and live the gospel with both hands, it, it's, it's sharing the gospel, the message, the good news of Jesus, but it's also serving people and loving people. And over there, it's crazy. They got orphanages, they got schools, they got hospitals, all that stuff. We participate in that. But the reality is, when you share the gospel, do you share with both hands the, the words, the message, and the life, the action? Well, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, one of his greatest teachings that Matthew uh, describes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Matthew is one of the early followers of Jesus. He says this, and it's a really beautiful thing. He says, Jesus says to the disciples, to, to the crowd, to you and to me, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. I mean, that makes sense, right? If you're going to, you know, light a street light out there, you're not going to cover it, right? I mean, the city would be wasting their money. If you were to put a night light out there on their porch and then you cover it with a box, that's ridiculous. You're wasting something, right? It's supposed to shine for all to see. Whether it's a 40 or a 75 or 100 watt or LED or whatever it is, that's fine. But the reality is the light is supposed to push out the darkness. And in the same way, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus looks at you and me and says, you should be a light. You should be a light. Not, I wouldn't, you know, this is like maybe just my own commentary on it, not a glaring light, a spotlight, a thousand candle power. You know, that's offensive to people. It's just, you know, way too bright. But a, a, a really attractive, glowing, warm light that draws people to something. And, and as you do your good deeds, that's an attractive light. In fact, it's interesting because the word good deeds or the idea of doing good here translates it this way on the next slide. It says uh, business, employment. If you look at just a, a lexicon dictionary of the Bible words, good deeds, Jesus says, let your employment shine out for all to see. Let your business shine out for all to see. Let your enterprise, your undertaking, let your hands, your art let your mind, let your act, let your deed, let everything that you do be a light that shines out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When's the last time you thought, hey, going to school this week? Ah, oh, sorry to remind you, tomorrow's Monday, right? Students, going to school, let your homework be a light for all to see. Let your schoolwork, let your class attendance, let your class participation, let the way you live with students and teachers. Uh, you're going to, uh, you know, tech industry, Intel, Solar World, wherever you're going there. Let your work, and this is a stretch, with Excel, okay, shine out for all to see, okay? Let the way you do what you do, uh, you're going to the gym, maybe you work for the government, downtown, whatever you do, let the way you do this Shine out for all to see. Let your business, let your enterprise. Drew, the way you do cabinets, right? Let your cabinet work shine out for all to see. Let people look at you and go, man, this is crazy. This dude doesn't just work with wood. He, like, builds stuff, and it's amazing, and it's the glory of God. Now, that might seem like a stretch, right? You do good work. I have some in my office, in my house. Thank you. But what would it look like for you to say, I'm going to do it in such a way that I'm doing it to honor God unto the Lord, my best, and some people are going to see that, right? What would it look like for you 
to actually take your effort. Corey, I don't know how you hack computers in the name of Jesus, but let your hacking be good. Obviously, you're a white hat, okay? It's a good hacking, okay? Thank you. Intel thanks you. We thank you. We're safer, okay? But let your geek stuff be good and done in such a way that people look at you and go, man, you really put something into this. Yeah, well, I want to tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. Because there's a deeper motive to everything I do. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to give my best. I want to absolutely give my best, all right? So that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's what I want us to begin seeing in the book of Mark. Now, if you have a Bible, uh, the Gospels, the New Testament starts about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. You can see there, there's only one thin page you can find in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're four of the Gospel stories, the good news stories of Jesus. We're looking at Mark 1 to 10. We're going to look at the first 15 verses today. So grab a Bible, open that up, and you could take a look at that, or you could look at it on the big Bible on the wall. Uh, each of the gospel writers, gospel means good news, uh, they are writing about the story of Jesus. Now, the truth is, uh, they're wanting to get to this last week of Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection. But depending on the author, they've they're got their own path to get there. Matthew is like, I want you to know the Old Testament. We looked at that a couple years ago. As a Jew, I want you to discover Jesus is connected. It takes a long time to get to the end, okay? But he's trying to connect the Old Testament. Mark's like, I don't have a lot of time. I just want to get there. All right, so Mark is just immediately, immediately. Mark's favorite word is immediately. It's awesome. Moms and dads, you can teach your kids a new word, immediately, all right? Especially the little ones. Okay, immediately, all right? I know love is slow. I get it. But Mark's like, no, love is fast. Let's just get this on. Let's show how Jesus did this. Mark is the earliest of all the gospel stories. He writes about 25, maybe 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so uh, Matthew writes, Mark, and then Luke, long story. He investigates everything. He builds the stage. John's like, I'm taking a different tact. I want to talk about out of the shoot. He is God. Matthew, Mark, Luke present Jesus from the earth on up. You can discover that. John's like, I don't have time for that. He's Jesus. Let's get over with. Here's seven signs. Believe in his name. I told you everything you need to do. Let's get on with it, right? Now, Mark is great because Mark shares more of the miracles than any of the other writers. Mark was actually, theologians believe, the foundational work for the writing of Luke and Matthew. And they looked at that source and go, Mark wrote all this stuff down. So Mark is on a mission to share why Jesus exists. And he says this, this is the good news, the gospel, the great news, this life-changing news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. Now, Mark and, and, and other writers, they say, I want you to understand who Jesus is, but before we get to Jesus, we have to prepare the path for Jesus. In fact, Isaiah presents this picture that was very common in his day, it's still to some degree common, but if a person of great importance, let's say the king or a president or somebody really important in your community shows up, you prepare the path, right? You clean the streets, you get the stuff out of the gutter. If you have potholes, you fill the potholes. We want to give the best for the king or the president or, or the savior, Jesus, come to earth. And so Isaiah says, when the savior comes, the Messiah, there's going to be someone that comes first to prepare the way. And you would actually even straighten out roads. You would rebuild roads. You would make it a really nice road, okay? 
Then the king can come in. That's the messenger. And then he goes on to explain who this guy is. He says this. He says, this messenger was John the Baptist, John the immerser, John the guy that put people down into water. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Now, there's a lot there, and this isn't actually the point of the message. It's coming in a bit, but I, want, I just would be remiss if I didn't tell you this. The idea of coming to faith in Jesus Christ requires repentance, a brokenness, a turning of our heart from our sin toward God. And the result of that is that we show it in our lives. And one of the ways is we're baptized. Baptism is just a simple act of going underwater and coming back up to symbolize that we're dead to our old life and we come back to life again. Now, do you know what happens if you are just a church person and not really a follower of Jesus and you get baptized? Anybody know? You get wet. That's it. Yeah. Do you know what happens if, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins and turned to God, and you don't get baptized? You know what happens? You're disobedient. Okay? So uh, we do baptism every week. You don't need to be disobedient anymore. Jesus says this. You know, Jesus demonstrated it. The Gospels are about baptizing in the name of Jesus to show that you've repented of your sins. So John goes on this journey of baptizing people, fiery message of calling people back to God. All of Judea, including the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, that's it. Remember, this is what the Bible says. The New Testament says, the book of Romans says, the apostle Paul says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When they did this, they confessed their sins. He baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food he ate locusts and wild honey. Now the reason that that's so important is that what the gospel writers are saying is he's the Elijah to come. This, this is a description of, of what Elijah looked like and what he you know, ate and things like that. So the story goes on. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which happens in Acts chapter 2. And so the whole message of John is to prepare for Jesus. Now, that was just introduction, right? Okay. So I want to show you what Mark shows you that's very important. Two specific things that begin the ministry of Jesus. It's his baptism and his temptation. Now, the beauty of this is understanding why. It's a great story, wonderful things in there. Each of the gospel writers show it from a little different viewpoint, but his baptism and his temptation. They both express and explain and focus on his humanity and his deity, but more than that, the very reason he does it is to take a step toward us. Let's take a look at this. First of all, baptism. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, which is way up in the north where he grew up, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting open and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Now, there is so much more we could talk about theologically about baptism and temptation, and we did it in the book of Matthew. So you can go back and listen to all that. I just want to focus on this question. Why was Jesus baptized? See, if you, if you listen to John's message, you repented of your sins, you turned to God, you'd be baptized. In fact, John shows up on a scene when the nation of Israel was oppressed by a foreign enemy. 
You know, the Old Testament says if your people are oppressed by a foreign enemy, that something's wrong with your nation. John shows up on a scene when people had discarded the truths of God. The Old Testament says if you throw away my blessing and my teaching, then there will be a curse that falls upon you. And so John shows up and says, hey, let's wake up. There's a foreign oppressor, and you guys have fallen far from God. (laughs) All you need to do is come back to God, repent of your sins, and God will restore us, right? That's the truth for you and for me. What's your life like? How's your life going? I know people come. People walk through the doors. We serve people throughout our community. Um, uh, Is somebody else ruling your life? Unless it's God, some foreign oppressor is ruling your life. If you've come to realize that your life is far from God, then you can come back to God. God will restore you. But Jesus didn't have either of those two things be true of him, right? Jesus hadn't sinned. You were baptized to show that you're repenting of your sins. You're confessing that you have fallen short of God's standard, that your life has been in disobedience to God, and you are bearing the results of that right now. And so let's come to confess and be baptized. And yet Jesus shows up to be baptized. Why? Jesus did not have to be baptized. He had no sin to recover from or to confess, right? Let's look at the next passage. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Now, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached the God's good news, the gospel. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And that's it. Now, but sandwiched between the messenger is coming and Jesus is preaching are two key events. Setting the stage for all that Jesus would do required John and required these two events. Why was Jesus tempted? Theologically, he hadn't sinned and he couldn't sin. And so does it make any sense that Jesus would be baptized? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't need to be baptized. Does it make any sense that Jesus would be tempted? He's the sinless son of God, and so he can't sin. So why would Jesus be baptized? Now, this is the, you know, kind of the, one of the ways I, I explain it when I talk to people. This is my identification, and this is my Oregon driver's license since 1983. I love that. Um, I have been an Oregon uh, driver's license and a donor, by the way. Haven't given anything away yet, thankfully, because um, I need that stuff, at least now. And, um, you know, it, this tells my name, my address, my, my license number. I've had it so long I've memorized it. My height, my, my weight. Oh, that's funny. That's what I was in high school. Um, you can see it afterwards. But the fact is, this is my ID. If, if I, um, I, I helped uh, my friend Chris Adson, who did the disciple-making conference yesterday, helped, I checked him into a hotel. They wanted my ID. This shows me who I am. Uh, Pastor Kevin and I were at a conference uh, this last week down in Irvine, California, checked into a hotel. They asked for my ID. If I get stopped by the police, for whatever reason, they go, can I see your ID and a couple other pieces of paper, right? This identifies me. Okay. Jesus did not need to identify with sin as his own sin. Why was he baptized? Why was he tempted? You see, here's why Jesus was baptized. Here's why Jesus was tempted. Not to identify with his sin, but to identify with our sin. To identify with you, to identify with me. Jesus goes under the water. John protests, hey, you should be baptizing me. You're the Messiah. No, 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 no. You need to baptize me. Because I need 
to identify with people and they can identify with me. Jesus goes in the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy, Satan himself, 40 days, okay, which is an interesting, fascinating thing because the nation of Israel went into the wilderness for 40 years and they were tempted and they failed miserably. Jesus wins big on this one and he doesn't succumb to sin, to which, you know, the theological mind would go, yeah, but he can't sin, so it's not that big of a deal. Well, think about it this way. On a scale of one to 10, uh, let's, my major temptation these days in my life is food. And so let's say a, a one is a chocolate cookie, okay? Chocolate chip, maybe macadamia nut, I don't know, like a cookie, okay? That's a one. Put a cookie in front of me, uh, ah, whatever, that's no big deal, okay? Maybe, I, you know, out of one I give in. I, I give in at one, I'll be honest. I have a chocolate cookie every once in a while. Uh, say to five, okay? At a five is like cheesecake, Cheesecake, okay, and, and just through normal run-of-the-mill cheesecake with a little bit of fruit on or whatever, cheesecake's pretty good if you ask me. I like cheesecake. That's a five temptation for me. But then you go to 10, like on a scale of one to 10, a seven-layer chocolate cake with a glass of milk, right? Maybe coffee, but milk. That's a 10, okay? That's hard for James to resist, as you can tell, okay? All right, because I'm not the weight on my driver's license anymore. I'm the height, but not the weight. Jesus endured the full measure of our temptation, and he didn't sin. And when you and I bail out at cheesecake, Jesus says no to chocolate cake, right? Jesus was able to endure the full measure of all of our temptation, and he didn't sin. And so we know that we have someone we can go to who gets it. In fact, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. It says this in Hebrews. Chapter four, the high priest of ours, this high priest Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings or temptations that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Now, this is why Jesus was baptized. This is why Jesus was tempted, so that you and I would have someone who identifies with us, so that we could identify with him, so that we can go to God and we can know that there is a God that knows everything about us and every struggle and every sin. And that Savior Jesus, our high priest, has walked with us, and we now, because of what he has done, can run into this throne of grace and go to God and have a relationship with God the Father because Jesus has conquered sin for us. He didn't know sin, but he took our sin upon himself. That's why Jesus identified with us so that we could identify with God the Father. Now, think about this. I want to think about it in the context of our own relationships. Wrote a couple thoughts here for us. Jesus began his ministry by taking the extraordinary steps to identify with, with us. His baptism, his temptation, he entered into our weaknesses so that we could have strength. Now, relationships are the very heart of the gospel, right? Knowing people around us, it's the very heart of the gospel. Ultimately, loving God and loving others. Because God loved us first, we who are followers of Jesus, we're commanded to love God and love other people. Love is the glue that holds all of our relationships together. Now, when we identify with other people in their hurt, brokenness, struggle, sinfulness, pain, suffering, their condition, their reality, we can share in their joys and sorrows. But if we don't draw close to people and get to know them and identify with them, 
then we don't know them and worse, they won't even know us. And it's really impossible to bring Jesus in the midst when we won't identify with others. Think about it, as a world, as a culture, we classify people. We put them in titles and boxes. We identify people based on words. We're really good at that because we like to box people in and feel better about the box we're in than the box they're in, right? We love to look down on other people or separate ourselves from people, and we're not that person, we're this person. And we do that with race, we do that with social status, we do that with economic status, we do that in so many ways, right? National status, we, we like to think of ourselves as in the box that's really the good box, but other people are in a different box. We like to think of ourselves as in the good name, whatever that might be, the good country, the good whatever, and yet other people are not in that. And it takes us getting out of our box, stepping into somebody else's box, as it were, to identify with them. Uh, Before people can come to know Jesus, they need to come to know us. Now, you naturally gravitate towards certain people, right? We have natural affinities, and that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? I mean, we just like certain things because we like certain things. I was just driving the other day, and I'm, you know, behind this car, and I'm sitting there at the light, and I look, and they have a, a license plate frame. It says Raider Nation. I'm like, I like that person. <laughs> I don't even know who they are. But damn, they're smart. Man, they're really good. They, they, they know what football's all about. And some of you are going like, no, no, it's the Seahawks, or, you know, it's the Rams. Hopefully not the dolphins, please. Okay, but the fact is that we identify with something, right? We wear logos, we wear shirts, we put stickers on. We're like, I'm this person over here. Years and years ago, I was in college in a singing group, went around, and we're up in Montana, which is a beautiful area, and um, we're we're up in this Lolo Pass area where the river runs through it, film, Robert Redford was filmed, and Brad Pitt, amazing area, just gorgeous, and we're there, and and the the gal had brought a couple of the guys home to stay, and then we're at the church singing, and, and we get home and come to find out the husband he didn't know that she had invited some college-age people to come over, so that was awkward. We're having dinner there, and he's like, you know, what do you do? And we're talking, and, and we go, well, we're, we're singing in the thing, and we go to college, and it's, we're Christians. He goes, oh, you're a Christian, huh? Yeah. He goes, I'm a fisherman. I'm like, like, see, that's a box. It's like, he's not in my box, but he's in that box, to which I'm going like, hey, you know what? I'm a fisherman, too. I'm just fishing for different things, you know? It's, it's like, we're all in different boxes. Here's my question. Knowing that Jesus stepped out of his box, heaven, into our box of sinful humanity, took a step toward us to identify with us through baptism and temptation, experienced the full measure of all of our stress and strain, yet without sin, what would it take for you and for me to do that for others? What would it take for us to get out of our box, our comfort zone, what we are really all about, And to say, I'm going to push away from what I like and how I feel, and I'm going to enter into somebody else's world. And that means I've got to start liking other things. I've got to start enjoying other things. I've got to start knowing about other things. I've got to hang out with people that are different from me. Because I have one mission, and that is to leave my comfort to go to somebody else's place to share the message of Jesus. That if they're ever going to see Jesus, they're going to have to see it in me, and that means I have to identify with them, whatever that might be. Now, it's hard for all of us, I get it. I want to share a story, an illustration about how, you know, early on God taught me that at sunrise. More than 15 years ago now, 
uh, we were brought to the realization, confronted actually, with the truth that men and women who come out of prison or jail are not welcome in church. They're just not welcome anywhere, really. And, you know, I, I've never been to prison. I've never been to jail. I mean, I, I visited, but I get to leave, okay? And I've never experienced it. I've never committed a crime worthy. Oh, I've never committed a crime that I got caught in that was worthy of going to prison. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. They just got caught. We didn't, right? Okay. Um, I don't know the first thing about living in a cell. Oh, I've been to Alcatraz a number of times, but then the tour boat takes me back. I stood in solitary, but they've welded the door open. You can't even shut the door anymore to see what it would be like to be in the hole. I don't know what that's like, but here's what I was confronted with, that there are men and women coming out of prison that are not welcome back in churches. And when I heard that, Pastor Kevin and I sat there and we heard, you mean they're, what does that mean you're not welcome? And we start talking to men and women, and then they tell us the stories that their pastor met him at the door and said, you know, it'd be better for everybody if you just go to a different church. I was heartbroken. And then I thought, do I know any ex-prisoners? Do I know any ex-anything? And I, I don't know. I didn't know. And I said, well, let's do something about it. We started Light My Way over 15 years ago. And today it's a full-functioning church with Pastor Clifford, who himself was at Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. And so he can identify in a way that I can't. But Kevin and I started this, and we got this going. And we have men and women at Sunrise Church that now have found a safe place because we've taken the step of identifying with them. And as a result, they can know Jesus Christ. What world do you have to step into? What category, what box, what personal relationship do you have to develop with someone who is far from God? that's different from you in order for you to build a relationship with them so that as you identify with them, they can see Jesus and identify with Jesus. What world do you have to be in? Where do you have to step out of your comfort zone in order that other people might know Jesus? What barriers do you have to push through so that other people might see Jesus in you? What comfort do you need to leave so that others can find the comfort of Jesus? Let's take a look at a video. It's about five minutes. Mike and Candy Keller sharing their own story of moving out of comfort into their neighborhood. Hi, I'm Mike Keller. This is my wife, Candy, and uh, we'd love to tell you about uh, the journey that God's had us be on for the last 10 years at least. We had an experience coming home from church one afternoon. Uh, we always talked about what the pastor shared, and it happened to be a message on the, on the Good Samaritan and what kept ringing in my head was the, the question that uh, the lawyer asked, and that was, uh, who's my neighbor? And uh, we had lived in this neighborhood for, at that time, 16 years, and neither one of us knew our neighbors. Other than being able to say hello uh, across the street, we knew very little about our neighbors. So we decided we were going to do a Christmas um, gathering at our house and I made up a little flyer and took a plate of cookies and said come to the Kellers on this date and bring your favorite Christmas treat and um, Mike has a lot of music so we put together a name that tune game just a kind of icebreaker and people loved it and they kept saying this is so fun we've never done this before so that really got the wheels turning for us that this should not be a, an annual thing just once a year, but how many different ways can we 
accomplish to get our neighbors into our home or interact with them. And God has given us some really great ideas over the years that have just come to us. Um, one is we decided to put a little table and chairs out on our porch and sit out there occasionally. Not as often as we should probably, but that, that is the intent, that we want to spend time in front of our neighbors, living in the front yard. We all live in our backyards, and we want to be out front because that's where our neighbors are. We started leaving our garage door open. Even if the garage is not as clean as we'd like it to be, we want people to know we're home and we're available. We're open. Um, I heard about uh, National Root Beer Float Day. And so we started front porch floats on National Root Beer Float Day. We just get a hold of our neighbors and say, come on over, bring your lawn chair. We're going to serve root beer floats on the front porch and just chat. And one year we had 10, the next year we had three. It's just, so whoever God brings, um, we just take that as a sign that these are the people he wants us to engage with. And barbecues in the summer neighborhood bike rides. God has just really given us a lot of different avenues. People have different interests. So just being willing to step into relationships is really what he's called us to. Uh, she mentioned the bike rides. Uh, we, we began to do the Vernonia to Banks ride uh, yearly. And uh, it's amazing when you sit down around a picnic lunch halfway around your on your on your bike ride and begin to talk about your family, begin to talk about your life, to discover the background of people. You have to ask the right questions, of course, but that's the way we began to understand who we were living next to. We've experienced divorce, death, um, loss of jobs, uh, difficulty with children, difficult pregnancies. Candy's an expert in that. Um, all of those things have allowed us to say, we care about you and we want to pray for you. The cost for us is we have to give away time. We have to be willing to be available to open our garage door, to let people know we're home, to be willing to, when we see a neighbor out on the street, walk out and spend time in conversation, if there, even if there's something else that I want to do, um, to give away uh, that space that could be mine. Uh, and so the cost has been pretty significant in that regard because we've spent a significant amount of time with our neighbors. The interesting thing is because we, they become friends, um, and, and, I, and I really believe they become close friends, um, they ask us often, when's the next Backyard movie? When are we coming over for cookies? Uh, when you make a pie, Candy, can you, can, you know, would you bring some over to us? So we're a significant part of their lives. And we have to be available to that. How can my heart be broken if I don't love people, love these people? How can I love them if I don't know them? How can I know them if I don't spend time with them? Hmm. We recognize that spending time with people leads to people understanding that we care for them and love them in the name of Jesus so that they might come to know him. How is your faith in Jesus showing up in the world around you? When I was a young boy, uh, long before Star Wars, loved science fiction, before that I would just read books and loved short stories of Ray Bradbury. One of my favorites was written in 1952, A Sound of Thunder. I, I found it and 
read it to my boys. It's really exciting. It's the idea of going back in time and discovering the dinosaurs that are going to die, and you get to hunt them before they die, and then there's not messing up the time stream. And it's like, this was fun when I was a kid, right? And, um, you know, the reality is you've got to stay on this elevated path uh, so it's not to disrupt anything, and we know the exact, we got the mark on the T-Rex, and that's the one, and you kill it at this moment, because that, and then nothing is harmed in the future. Well, the story goes, as you can you know, read about it, you can still find it online, simple story of a guy that kind of panics, runs back, jumps off the path, ends up back in the time machine. As they go back, he looks down, he's got mud on his boots, and he's got a butterfly that he stepped on accidentally. Well, when he gets back to his world, everything is different. The butterfly effect, where the simple idea that one small action could change a lifetime, an eternity. We, we, you know, we kind of talk about that in sci-fi stuff and, you know, the Doctor Who paradox and all that weird stuff. And we, you know, people who are geeks like me, we go, what if, what if we did this? And if, you know, if, if John F. Kennedy hadn't died, I'm watching this 1122, 63 with my wife. If Kennedy hadn't died, then Robert would have lived and there wouldn't be a video. I mean, what would, you know, we look at all this stuff, okay? Why don't we look at it differently? What if today you do one simple thing? What if today you reach out in one simple way to someone who's far from God, who's very different than you. We don't know what the future holds, but that one simple act could have an effect on their eternity. Kevin and I had no clue that over 15 years ago that when we said yes, that that one simple act would end up that we would have a whole church that reaches ex-prisoners, that there would be a full-time pastor that reaches them, that we would have the favor with the community that the Department of Corrections and the Sheriff's Department and, and the people who work with the police department, they would go, man, what you're doing is a good thing. That the lives of men and women be forever changed, that they would not just come to Jesus Christ, but they would have men and women that walk with them through the length of their parole restrictions that one day when they get off paper, they have a family there. We had no idea that that insurmountable odd of change would happen with a simple act of love. What would it look like for you and for me to do one simple thing this week Step into somebody's world, identify with them, so that one day you can show and share the love of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, that one simple thing, that one small little butterfly thing would be to come close to God, to actually draw close to God, to do what we saw in the scripture, to confess your sins, repent of, turn, turn around, and turn to God through Jesus Christ. That, my friends, trust me, I did that in December of 1979, and that one small thing revolutionized everything for me. Change not, not just my eternity, but the lives of many, many people. For others, we already know that message. What would it look like for you this week to step out and in one small act of love, identify with someone who is not in your box, who is not in your category, who might even be perceived by others a category far down the line, but who's dearly made in the image of God and loved by God who Jesus came and died for. And God doesn't have boxes. He doesn't have status. He just has his sons and daughters who he's longing to draw home. Let's pray together. Father, I, I just want to thank you for Jesus who stepped into our world, who identified with us. And before he did all the ministry, through baptism and temptation, he said yes to entering into our world to entering into our pain and our brokenness and our experience. And in doing so, God gave us the opportunity to see a Jesus who knows, a Jesus who cares, a Jesus that's gone through all of our struggles and yet gives us hope that we can be victorious because he was the victor on the cross. 
He won the victory for us. God, I pray that we would all know that, that maybe today that step would be for some of us to say yes to that message, that we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raise him from the dead and we'll be saved. And, and probably the vast majority of us here that we would just do it. We would step out this week that you would bring somebody into our, our line of sight, into our pathway that we could identify with and build a relationship with. God, bring us into relationship with people that are far from you and that we would identify and walk toward them and bring Jesus in the midst. We pray in your name, amen.